0: Thought provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, This ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome! Thank you for joining us at our little kala today. Sure, appreciate you joining us. We have a bunch of people here with nice full bellies. We always say if you uh, if you don't have a full belly when you leave here, something is seriously wrong with you. We even have a bunch of homemade stuff: macaroni salad, we got some chicken casserole, uh, some looks like some raviolis, watermelon because we like to be healthy up in here. Homemade banana. Bread, homemade pow pow bread. Um, what do we call this soup, Philly Bob? Roasted pepper soup, folks. All day long he's making this. Amazing. He sends me a play by play, and it's amazing. <laughs> you know, I love that when people send me play. Where is Sean? Is he working? Oh, yeah, this guy. He loves to send me play by play. This guy sends me food. I talk about the air when I'm hungry. I love that. That's right. That's right. So we have uh, lots of great food. We even have some fried chicken and and uh, some homegrown stuff. We all we love all this stuff. Some d- chips and dip. So if you are from the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and we have some people here that are sixty-three miles from New York. So you could even come from that far. We'd love to uh, love to have you. And we have some visitors with us today. We like to see as often as possible. So today I'm only teaching on one verse and one sentence this week. What? What? We should Hey listen, we should be out of here in about 10 minutes then, right? I'm only teaching one verse and one sentence. 10 minutes, we're all home. Warm up your cars. <laughs> Good thing it's not cold enough for ice on your windshield, you wouldn't even have time to defrost. Remember where we ended on last week's message, uh which by the way, you can download for free at blogtalkradio.com, the ninja and, and backslash the ninja pastor. While you're there, click on follow. Uh, it's real easy to do, super easy. Um, or the theninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com or facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Our great friend Sean keeps that up to date. Okay. So it's Rosh Hashanah today. Rosh Hashanah. The significance is the Jewish New Year and the sounding of the shofar. Do we have our shofars here today? We do not. We do not. Fumble. Our observant. Our observance. Christians are observant Christians. Blew out their lips, blowing at uh, blowing at church today. So this holiday, this Jewish holiday, is two days. Uh, most other Jewish holidays are one day, but this is two days. There's some significance to that, and uh, it's a it. What you do is you dip apples in honey, you cast off your sins into a river, uh, and and the greeting is, Loshana Tova, for a good year. Loshana Tova, for a good year. Leviticus 16.24 says, In the seventh month, by the way, this is not the verse I'm preaching on, so don't get all happy. People are heading for the door. In the seventh month, on the first of the month, there shall be a Sabbath for you, a remembrance with shofar blasts, a holy convocation. That's Leviticus 16.24. Rosh Hashanah occurs in the first and second days of Tishri. That's Jewish month. In Hebrew, Rosh Hashanah, Means literally head of the year or first of the year. Rosh Hashanah is commonly known as the Jewish New Year. The name is somewhat deceptive because there's there's a uh, there are you know in America we have Happy New Years Whee, we New Years in the Times Square where everybody's drunk falling down and people are packed in like sardines and you know you you, you make all these resolutions Happy New Year Happy everybody bumps into each other. Make a bunch of promises to yourself you're not going to keep. And then, uh, so this is very, very different. This is this is one of the holiest days of the year for a Jew. And the American Midnight Drinking Bash and daytime football game, you know, the next day, when all the guys are so drunk and hungover that they can't barely see. But that is what it is. Big difference here. One important similarity between the Jewish New Year and the American one, many Americans use the New Year as a time to plan a better life or to do what? New Year's resolutions. Likewise, the Jewish New Year's is a time to begin introspection, looking back at the mistakes of the past year and planning the changes to make in the new year. And uh, there's a book called Days of All, which is really phenomenal, that talks about this. The name Rosh Hashanah is not used in the Bible to discuss this holiday. The Bible refers to this holiday as Yom HaZikrun, the Day of Remembrance, or Yom Turuah the day of the sounding of the shofar and the holiday is instituted in leviticus 23 24 uh, verse 24 and 25 the shofar what is the shofar we talk about the shofar when the bible when the english bible talks about the trumpet blowing what is it really talking about ram's horn shofar is a ram's horn which is blown somewhat like a trumpet one of the most important observances of this holiday is the hearing the sounding of the shofar in the synagogue a total of 100 notes are sounded each day. There are four different types of shofar notes. Tikia, which is a three-second sustained note. Shevarim, which is a three one-second notes, rising in tone. Turua, which is a series of short staccato notes extending over a period of about three seconds. And Tikia, Gedula, which is literally big Tikia, which is the final blast in a set which lasts about ten seconds minimum. So you better have plenty of air saved up. (coughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, um, it, it's just an amazing thing. The, the Bible gives no specific reason for the practice. One that has been suggested, however, is that the shofar sound is a call to repentance. The shofar is not blown if the holiday falls on Shabbat. How many of you know you don't blow? You're silent and quiet. If the holiday falls on Shabbat, you don't, you don't blow the shofar. No work is permitted on Rosh Hashanah. So, hopefully, all of our observance here, made all this food another time, and somebody maybe helped you carry it in and all of that. Much much of the day is spent in the synagogue, where a regular daily liturgy is somewhat expanded. In fact, there's a special prayer book called the Zor used for Rosh Hashanah, uh, and Yom Kippur, which is coming up as well, because of the extensive liturgical changes for these holidays. So there's a special book for that. Bless you. Another popular observance during this holiday is eating apples dipped in honey, a symbol of our wish for a sweet new year. This was the second Jewish religious practice uh, that I ever learned about. The first one was the lighting of the Chanukah, the Chanukah candles on the menorah. Anybody ever have apples dipped in honey? It's pretty good, right? Shabbat. Every Shabbat you have apples dipped in honey. You also dip bread in honey. It's kind of cool, instead of sprinkling salt on it. Um, Another practice of the holiday is Tashlich, which is casting off. We walk to a flowing river, such as a creek or a river. The water has to be moving. That's the key. On the afternoon of the first day, we empty our pockets into the river, symbolically casting off our sins. Small pieces of bread are commonly put in the pocket to cast off, and the ducks really love this holiday, just so you know. This practice also is not discussed in the Bible, but is a long-standing custom. Tashlich. It is normally observed on the afternoon of the first day before afternoon services. When the first day occurs on Shabbat, many synagogues observe Tashlik on Sunday afternoon to avoid carrying the bread on Shabbat. Folks, Jews take the practice of their faith very, very seriously. A lot of times we fall, we Christians fall by the wayside when we get too much to do. Uh, religious services for the holiday based on the concept of God's sovereignty. The common greeting at this time is Tova for a good year. This is shortening of Lashana Tova va or to women La Shana Tova tikime, which I think I masquered. Which means may you be inscribed and sealed for a good year. You may notice that the Bible speaks of Rosh Hashanah uh, as occurring on the first day of the seventh month. The first month of the Jewish calendar is Nisan. Why then does the Jewish New Year occur in Tushri, the seventh month? Now, you're going to, this is all free of charge, no cost obligation to you. Um, you hear a lot of people shooting down the Bible based on chronology, right? You get a, you get a bunch of uh, either, it, it's, it's worse, it's not as bad as if it's an atheist. If it's an atheist, we don't care. What do they know? They've got, they've got scales over their eyes. But it's terrible when it's a Christian. But, you know, that can't be correct. I think there's something weird about that. I think they're just they're getting their dates mixed up or something. Well, maybe the Bible's not literal. Maybe it's just a story. We just talk about these little things. Because, you know, these dates, clearly, obviously, it's the seventh month. It's not the beginning of the first. You know, and they try to compare, compare the calendar that we have now to the calendar that is older than any of us. Or all of us combined hundred thousand. So, Judaism, here's the answer. Be really, really super smart to all your friends. Judaism has several different new years, a concept which may seem strange at first, but think of it this way. The American New Year starts in January, but the new school year starts in September. And many businesses have a fiscal year that start at various times of the year. In Judaism, Nisan 1 is the new year for the purpose of counting The reign of kings and months on the calendar. Elul 1 in August is the new year for the tithing of animals. Shabbat 15 in February is the new year for trees, determining when first fruits can be eaten, etc. And Tishri 1, Rosh Hashanah, is the new year year for years. When we increase the year number, sabbatical and jubilee begins at this time. Got it, everybody? There will be a test at the end. Good luck. Big prize if you win. Actually, no prize at all. Tell you what, there is a big prize, there's lots of cookies, and what is this right here? Anybody know what that is? That's the pawpaw bread? Pawpaw custard. Whew, I keep smelling that as I walk by. It smells really good. So, okay, this also is not the verse that I'm going to preach on today. I've got a lot of caveats, don't I? You can tell I I bet a lot. I always have a lot of outs. James 2.26, that's where we uh, we ended up last uh, week. How many of you were able to listen to the broadcast last week, it's on uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash TheNinjaPastor, and it's also on iTunes and all that. So if you want to hear the lead up to this, all you have to do, go click on it, click on follow, boom, you're there, free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. James 2.26, indeed, just as the body without a spirit is dead, so too faith without actions is dead. Remember what I said on last week's broadcast, those of you who listened, hesitant faith is no faith at all. I say this all the time. Hesitant faith is no faith at all. Now, this week, here's your here's your one verse, your one sentence, the whole sermon, based on James three one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, since you know that we will be judged more severely. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, since you know that we will be judged more severely. By the way, everybody, if you can, pray for, keep on your list or put on your list Chris Cahalan. My good friend Chris Cahalan out in Minnesota, he is uh, he is fighting, 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 he's got a great attitude. I'm enjoying our chats back and forth as he journals his journey with pancreatic cancer. Family was all rallied around him, the neighborhood, the friends, everybody. And I'll tell you what you find. And those of you who have had cancer in here, many of you in here and have cancer, you find out who your real friends are when you're in the biggest battle of your life, and he's doing that. But they're also finding out what an incredible friend he is even in the biggest battle of his life. So Chris Halen and his family, remember to keep praying for them. So the verse is James three one. Not many of you should become teachers. How many teachers? Right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Holy moly. Six teachers in here. Well, I better watch my grammar. <laughs> Not many of you should become teachers. Yay. One of the teachers, one of the retired teachers says, I'll drink to that. Hey, we don't have that here, but we have real wine when we do our communion. Um, We keep repeating communion because we can't get it right. Let's do it over. Let's do it again. I don't know. I don't think I have it right. Bigger glasses, I keep spilling down my throat. (laughs) People will start coming now, won't they? They'll start coming. There's people drink. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, since you know that we will be judged more severely. We will be judged more severely. Why does Yaakov or James say we will be judged more severely? Because he's a Hebrew teacher. He teaches. He's a Messianic teacher. He lived with Yeshua because Yeshua was his brother. right? And now Yaakov or James is leading the church the new messianic congregation he's leading the church and he is absolutely a teacher and one thing he knows is that he will be judged more severely there's another translation that i want to read to you just because it's a little more englishy my brethren let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter punishment doesn't say you might doesn't say if you're a teacher and you do it wrong, you're inept or you're teaching wrong, either purposely, purposefully or by accident. It says you shall receive a stricter judgment. There aren't a bunch of caveats here, but I'm going to give you some of the background on it. As James has been involved in this deep and passionate teaching regarding the relationship of faith and works, you guys remember that this whole series on James has really been a connection of faith to what you do. Most Christians who have been educated and taught uh, in the Christian faith or the Protestant faith or even the Catholic faith, uh, you will have been brought up that the rejection of any sort of thing you need to do related to salvation is cast aside. It's all you have to do is raise your pinky, text a number, say amen after the preacher prays a prayer. And you're saved. That's that's what you've been taught. Not that simple. It's really and honestly not that simple. I hate to bust your bubble, be the bearer of bad news, but that's a fact. But the spiritual works that I've been talking about are very specific things. It's a lifestyle. You're gonna hear that, you're gonna hear that word again, lifestyle. We're gonna repeat that. But James or Yaakov has been talking about the relationship of faith and works, and now he seems to change gears. Out of nowhere, Yaakov or James changes gears, and he says this statement that is out of literally the blue. The very important subject that he addresses in only one sentence. Sometimes less is more. His teaching regarding the awesome responsibility of serving as a teacher is very important. Now, the word serving is very important there. Uh, a lot of times now we're going to use the word teacher. I'm going to read an old, uh, another verse tied into this. Technically, I'm not violating my one verse, one sentence thing because it's it's related, but it's, it's not the same one. I'm just trying to give you background on this verse, you see. Nobody's going to ever bet with me, right? Because you're be like, oh, you got too many outs. He always wins the bet. No other passage in all the New Testament is as potent in its focus upon the great responsibility of being a teacher of Christian truth and lifestyle. You see, they're not just teaching, you have to you have to put this in your mind. We're not just teaching about stuff you memorize and remember and regurgitate. We're talking about teaching how to live. What do I say all the time? Your calling from a Hebrew worldview and perspective is not your job. It's not the thing you do really great, like, uh, you know, Steve does a bunch of things great, but one of the things he does great is play violin. We have piano players and other instrumentalists here and singers and all these different things. We have artisans, all those things. It's not that thing. Even if you're an artist painting pictures, you're standing before a, 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 a blank canvas, and then when you're finished painting what God tells you to paint, that's not even your calling. Your life is your calling. So when when it talks about the great responsibility of being a teacher of Christian truth and lifestyle, we are talking about life and how we live it. Not specifically the stuff we do or don't do, but how we live. How we think about living. How how much value do we put into our years here on earth? My brother only lived 52 years. Uh, I'll be 50 this month. 52 years. I wasn't supposed to live to be 50. So, I uh, I'm I'm on I'm on uh what is it bonus time in soccer? We're in injury time, <laughs> borrow time, yeah. So, it appears that James is teaching two major truths here, and they're both one with the other. So, I'm going to teach you about those. Not many of you should become teachers. That's from verse 1. Not many of you. That sounds kind of harsh. You know, if if it was uh Western Kentucky he might have said, y'all are too stupid to teach. You know, maybe, maybe he was saying that. Do you think he was saying that? He was looking at the crowd, y'all are dumb. No, he wasn't saying that at all. Within the New Testament, and by the way, Kentucky people aren't necessarily stupid. You know, Kentucky has a booming economy. Within the New Testament church, the role of teaching was looked upon as the exercise of one of the leadership gifts given by the Holy Spirit. So teaching... And this is this is early on, from the very beginning of the New Testament church, the role of teaching was viewed very highly, very, very highly. It, it was important. If you were a teacher, what's another name for teacher, what they would call Yeshua, Rabbi, Rabboni? Uh, they would call Yeshua, Jesus, teacher. They would refer to him as teacher. And so when somebody was referred to as teacher, that was a very elevated position, and it was to be respected, looked upon as also one of the leadership gifts given by the Holy Spirit. In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, he refers to the spiritual gift of teaching as one of the five leadership gifts given by the Lord to his church. The gift of teaching clarified within that context, along with the gift of serving. See if you can hear any something in here that you might be good at. Or that you might be called to. By the way, let me dispel a myth. Not everything you are called to do are you good at. The Holy Spirit may call you to do something that you really are terrible at doing. But every day, it's a struggle. And every day you get up and you go back to that thing and you say, Father, help me be better at living out what you've called me to be every day. Now, the exception to that is the lady in church. You all have been to church, and she gets up, and she says, the Lord laid this song on my heart, and then four and a half, and she's very sincere, she's very sweet, but you can no longer hear properly because you've taken your pencil that you write great notes, and you've jammed your ear to try to protect yourself from the sounds you're hearing. I say that in jest, but maybe that's not her gift. Maybe that's not her gift. But sometimes we want a gift. And what I'm saying here is sometimes we want a gift so much that, and it's easier if we're really good at it, right? If you're really good at something you and you want that gift, you pair the two together and say, the Lord has obviously given me this gift. This is obviously what I'm supposed to do because look how easy this is for me to do or look how good I do. doesn't mean a of beans. In the relationship of spiritual gifts that it gives you, you've probably had lots of pastors teach you, Just do what you're good at. Now, you know, those of you who were here two weeks ago heard me say, do what you're good at for the kingdom of God, somewhere strategic for the kingdom of God. Do what you're good at. Now, I don't want you to get twisted. That doesn't mean that you're you're to stop doing all the other stuff you're good at to do this one thing that the Lord has laid on your heart that you're supposed to do that you're not really good at. Or the other stuff that you're pretty good at you just cast aside because this is the thing God's called you to do. It's so complex yet it's so simple. Anyway, what are the what are the gifts of serving? Um apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, that's from Ephesians 4:11. Furthermore, he gave some people as emissaries. Right? What is emissary? Uh the the more appropriate word for emissary? Evangelist, apostle, um some as prophets, some as proclaimers of the good news, and some as shepherds, and then the very last one, teachers, Ephesians 4.11. That's from the complete Jewish Bible. Interestingly enough, this is the only reference of James in entire letter, this whole thing that he wrote, the whole book of Yaakov or James, the whole thing, this is the only place that he talks about the gift or role of teaching. He says one sentence, one thing. And then he moves on. You might be curious, as was I, and many other biblical scholars, far smarter than me, um, they speculate as to why. Why does he only talk about this one time? And he's so bold about it. He's just so in your face about it. And then he moves on. Why he speaks concerning this matter within this context, the more important focus seems to always be, what is he saying to us? Right, because when we read the Bible... Uh, We do always want to know the context. We always want to know the historical context. We want to know the language. It's important for us to understand language implications. It's important for us to understand a lot of things other than just reading a thing and juxtaposing that literature into our modern time frame without any consideration for context, cultural, language, any of those things, political, geopolitical, any of those things. It's important for us to understand those things. Little things mean... They mean everything. Little things mean everything. They don't mean a lot. They mean everything. But here we have to ask ourselves: Well, what is he saying to us? Or even, or even more importantly, what what is God saying to us regarding the important role of teaching within the church? Because we're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that you're given. Are you given the gift of teaching? The gift of teaching. Culturally, back then was a gift from the Holy Spirit. Let me touch on something really, really quick. A lot of people will claim that verse, a lot of people that say we're not to stand against our government, our tyrannical, evil government. We're not to stand against them because we're supposed to render under Caesar's that which is Caesar's, whom God has appointed as a king, blah, blah, blah. You know, know, I could quote all kinds of them. People say that and they say, see, 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 we're not supposed to be Politically active. Religion is supposed to be separate from politics. By the way, the name of my show, Tomorrow's Collision of Faith and Politics, Monday's 4 p.m., 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor. Just saying. You get one of 500,000 people that listen. So what I'm saying to you is, and I want you to get this. This is a very important thing, is people give themselves an out. Christians specifically give themselves an out because they say, hey, we shouldn't fight against the powers that be, because God put them in place. His own Bible says that. That's not what his Bible says. Contextually speaking, we look back at this and we compare that. Contextually, we understand that sometimes we miss that huge gap of time and culture. We miss very important things because then, then, and I believe now, I believe it carries through to today, I don't think there's been any decrease in responsibility um, for teachers, I think it's actually increased. But then the kings were appointed by God, the Jewish kings, the Hebrew kings, not all kings. When they talk about that, who are they talking about? Who are they talking to? Jews. We're not talking about all the other kings and all that stuff. Yeah, Okay, if you're in power, we have to, we have to, we have to be uh, polite and we have to do the right thing until it's time to fight. Until you tell me to violate what God says to do. Whose law is superior? God's law. law. Whose law really is the only law? God's law. God's law. Kim Davis stood for God's law. If you want to know more about Kim Davis, watch my YouTube channel, The Ninja Pastor. Go to YouTube, type in The Ninja Pastor. You'll see a bunch of videos that I've done, several of them, on Kim Davis. You'll hear the truth there. I did a show, I think two weeks ago, Monday show two weeks ago, where I talked all about Kim Davis. And I give you the truth about what's going on with her. And, by the way, not for nothing, I'm really ticked at Christians because there's a lot of Christians throwing rocks at this woman when the last person in the world that should have rocks thrown at her is Kim Davis, and the last person to pick up a rock ought to be a Christian. Kim Davis stood for what she believed, and she's actually a very nice lady. So what is God saying to us? This is what we've got to ask ourselves. The important role of teaching within the church. It appears that some of his readers, they may have been facing the temptation to become a teacher. Now, teacher, remember what I said earlier on, rabbi, right? Rabbi, the the rabbi was a very very accoladed position. Go if you want to if you want to experience this, go to Brooklyn where my buddy Morty lives. Go to Brooklyn, where the L uh the elevated trains are, there's a diner to your right uh Really old diner, um, and it's been used a lot in movies for mob scenes, you know, for the mob, organized crime. Do I need to spell this out? Uh, and by the way, not for nothing, but that's because the mob uses that diner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a small fee, a tribute paid to use the diner. So anyway, as you go a little bit further down in Brooklyn, you'll see the the very Orthodox Hasidic and other uh, Sex of of Jews there, and it's going into another world. It's going into a whole another world. And if you want to see something powerful and amazing, you watch this guy dressed in full on regalia on a normal day, walking down the street, and young boys rushing ahead with their cloaks to throw down across a puddle or throw down a dirty part that they can't get clean as he walks and he steps on it now that's a little overboard i think to me right but i'm not that i don't live that i don't put that pressure on myself i don't i don't put that much on me i don't i don't elevate this person but they're not elevating him they're viewing him as god told him he is the rabbi so there's a temptation of becoming a teacher right some people like to talk some would say i like to talk right right only one sentence today one verse i'm preaching only one sentence one verse but that's okay. People still say, I like to talk. Uh, also, if you are in a situation where you speak, you stand up for a crowd, if it goes really well, your speech goes really well, what do people do? They applaud. Sometimes they stand up. Uh, sometimes in my speeches all across the country, I've given, sometimes people bawl. They cry. I've, I've seen it happen, and I've been amazed at it. Sometimes I, I forget, you know, things affect people emotionally. And God gives me the words to say, and I say them just like He told me. And I don't—I say what God told me to say, and I preach what God told me to preach, and I let Him handle all the rest. And when I do that, He does amazing things with it. I don't do amazing things with His will; He does amazing things with my willingness. Teachers, how many of you have ever known a teacher who is just a full-on jerk outside of their teaching? Right? Yeah, you're like, mm, I tell you. Some people are pointing. That's him right up there, that guy. So so how many of you have known a teacher who, when they get up to teach, they're amazing? But then when you meet them afterwards, you're like, what a jerk. What a full-on jerk. Could you be less of a jerk? You're disappointed, right, when you meet them. One of the best parts about being an executive protection uh, person or a bodyguard uh, is you get close to really, really famous people. And sometimes you get close to those really, really famous people, and you really wish you didn't. Because that really great opinion that you had of them is torn down by the reality of who they really are, persona, who they really are. And then there have been many, many times in my life where I've been blessed, where I've gotten to be with super famous people who are better than I ever, ever thought, ever, ever thought. I can think of three names right off the top of my head that people throw rocks at them all the time and they say they're not good people. Sarah Palin, she's she's as awesome as there is of a human being. Uh, Tom Selleck, probably one of the best guys I've ever met in my life. And Tom Cruise, really, really awesome guy. You say what, you what about his religion and how he's portrayed, but he is really a super good guy. Super, super good guy. So my point in all that is is when you're the, and, and we'll, we'll look at the celebrity-ishness of it, because back then, remember, you were kind of a celebrity. You were kind of a celebrity. If you were the teacher, you were a celebrity. You were viewed very highly because ostensibly you were viewed very highly by God. You were put in that place through a spiritual calling. So there were a lot of people that said, hey, I want to give me some of that. I want to get some of that accolade. I want to get some of that attention. So what they do is they say, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm a teacher. When they were not actually called or given the spiritual gift of teaching. Yaakov or James is not discouraging those who have received that calling and have that gift, he's speaking specifically to the people who are what we call posers or pretenders. Now, we all know that person who is not really who they pretend to be. I'll say his name. Why not? Because Jerry already said it. Joel Osteen. He is, somebody's ringing. Uh, Joel Osteen is a guy, look, I don't know him personally, but he's a guy who violates every biblical principle I can even think of. It drives me crazy, this guy, how he pretends to present Scripture, when in fact much of what he presents is absolute lies. It's just simply not true. Am I saying he's not a good guy? I don't know. He seems like a good enough guy to me. wears nice suits, I will say that. Really nice ties. He makes people feel good. He does what? He tickles their ears. The Bible says be careful of those people. Be careful of those people. But he's a teacher, right? He stands in front of 38,000 people they have on average on Sundays. 38,000 people. And he preaches. And the TV audience is, is millions. And now he has Sirius XM, all of these different things, which I do not begrudge at all. My problem is, is the guy just simply doesn't always tell the truth. Now here's the thing. He was put into that position. I'm glad you brought him up because he, he, he fits really well in this because he's very well received. Very, very well received. But, he is responsible for the truth the christian truth and lifestyle that he preaches he's responsible for that a lot of scrutiny on that he got put into that role because when his dad died his dad had a very big ministry not quite where it is now uh but you know he 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 was the natural selection he was a production guy you know he would you know do the tv ministry and all that stuff Joel Osteen was that guy. He wasn't the guy that would ever stand up there. He's not a day of seminary training. Now, let me address this really, really quickly. Some of the greatest preachers of all time never had a day of seminary training. Seminaries, you know, this is uh, what I think they ought to do is train the called, not call the trained. Churches ought to train the called, those who have a call in their life, not say, hey, you've been trained. Let's have you come and preach. Anyway. That's an aside. That was a bonus, too. No cost or obligation to you. He's reminding his readers, yeah, I call reminding his readers, that few of us are called to be teachers, few of us. The leadership gifts aren't given to all the members of the body, the body being the church, and the gift of teaching is given to but a precious few. Now, you might say, well, you're up here teaching. Are you saying you're precious? Well, little. No, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm precious at all. Uh, what I'm saying is, is the responsibility placed upon the teacher or the preacher, interchangeable words here. In my book, Someone's Killed a Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, I talk about uh, how a lot of preachers don't call themselves preachers anymore. We know people personally who say, oh, no, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a teaching pastor. Uh, I give talks. Instead of saying, I preach sermons. Because we're afraid of what? The vernacular in this society says that if you preach at me, you're wrong. You're judgmental. You're, you're bigoted. You think you're all that. You think you're perfect. Kim Davis, people said she's got a lot of nerve refusing these people a marriage certificate when she's been married and divorced three times. She's been married four times, divorced three times. She's got a lot of nerve. Who does she think she is? She's a bigot when in fact that's not the case at all. Most people don't know the real story behind her com- coming to Christ was four years four years ago, her, her mother-in-law was on her deathbed, literally on her deathbed, about to die, and she said, Kim, come in here. And Kim came in by herself, and her mother-in-law said, Look, I haven't lived a perfect life, but here's why I'm not afraid of dying, because I know I'm going to see the Father because I did this. I placed my faith in him. I believe he's the risen son of God and that he's coming again one day, but he's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back with a sword and a horse, and there's going to be terrible, terrible things happen. But for the saints, they'll be called home with him forever. I'm not afraid of dying, but I am afraid of you dying without the hope that I have. And right then and there, by her bedside through tears, Kim Davis placed her faith in Christ, and she changed her whole life does that mean all of us think we're perfect that claim jesus no we're not perfect we're just redeemed we're we're in the process of being perfected we're being perfected by the gospel of christ we're being perfected by following the teachings of christ we're being perfected by living and observing a lifestyle that honors god even when popular but none of us are perfect i'm certainly not perfect it's true of any ministry. We should become involved in teaching only when we're called of God and gifted by the Holy Spirit to do so. An appropriate paraphrase of the teaching of James in this context might be, Brothers and sisters, God has not seen fit to call many of us to be teachers. Don't be in a hurry to become teachers unless you are certain that God has called you and has entrusted you to the spiritual gift of teaching. Be content with whatever gifts and calling God gives to you. Don't try to be what you are not. Joyfully be what God has called you to be. Use your gifts in ministry to others and to the glory of God. If you teach, do it to the glory of God. If you do not teach, do it to the glory of God. Only then can you truly be fulfilled. Wow, that's a much longer verse in paraphrase than the verse that James 3.1 puts forth. Yaakov said one sentence and one verse. This is the paraphrase of that, but this is what it really comes down, it boils down to mean. Now, I want to address something I kind of touched on a second ago, and I think this is important to really hammer home, because I want you to understand. God may have called you to be a teacher. We're just using teacher now because he's talking about teacher, but he may have called you in a number of things. And remember what I said. You may not be super comfortable in that role. You know, there's a... um, You went to see her uh, or saw a simulcast this weekend. Big Christian lady. She still gets sick to her stomach, so much so she used to vomit before going out on stage. Well, you can say her name out loud and get me sued, so thank you. I came to learn. They can hear it. They can hear it. Now I'm turned way up. No, it's fine. So sorry. No, uh, and there are many others. There are many, many others who are so nervous, they vomit. They get sick to their stomachs before they go out and do what God's called them to do. But let's think about this. Do you know musicians, right, or fantastic musicians? I played a musician right before a famous uh, violinist. Many people have not heard. You've heard his music, but you don't know who he is. Uh, Sumvel, he's uh, Algerian, one of the most amazing violinists I've ever heard in my life. He, He has literally fallen asleep playing the violin. It is such a natural act for him. He said God gives the flow to him, and he releases himself. He surrenders totally and completely to it. But guess what? He didn't start off that way. His mom and dad would probably tell you, oh, Lord Jesus, these were the hardest ten years of my life, this boy learned how to play the violin. Because you know what sounds really beautiful and amazing is violin. What really sounds really, really bad and horrible is a violin played poorly, Right? So the first 10 years of his life, nobody really looked at him and said, wow, this kid's a prodigy. This kid's amazing. Just after the 10 years, something happened in him. He stood before the canvas that is his life, the blank canvas before his life, and he said, God, give me the brush. Give me the bow. Allow me to honor you with this instrument. And he did. You can say, oh, that's hokey. You know, that's just 10 years of practice paying off. His parents would have told you in their memoir, they would have told you that he was awful for most of those years. He was just horrible to listen to, brutal to listen to. And then when he surrendered himself totally, some would say, secular humanists would say, he surrendered himself to the instrument. He would tell you he surrendered himself. What am I saying in that? You know lots of incredible musicians who are atheistic. They are atheists. They they know no more of God, they reject God, they curse God, they blaspheme God, and yet they go out and they play their instrument with incredible skill and you listen to them and you say, Wow, that person is touched of God. I'm making a warning here. When you hear somebody preach and they preach a certain thing and it, it whips up your emotion, you really feel strongly. And then you say, Wow, the Lord was really in this place tonight doesn't necessarily mean that, does it? Sometimes they're just really crafty, good speakers. The Bible tells us, be aware. aware. So this is number two. Teachers will receive a stricter judgment. As a part of the warning that James or Yaakov shares regarding the great responsibility of teaching others within the church, Yaakov presents the sobering information that those who teach will be judged more strictly than others. This statement raises at least two important questions. I've got to hurry or I won't get to them. The first question is, why would a teacher be judged with greater strictness? And the second question would be, who's going to do this strict judging? Right? Those are natural questions. Why would a teacher be judged with greater strictness? And who's going to be the one that does this strict judging? At least two principles of scripture will help us to answer that first question adequately. The first is a principle taught by Jesus. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. From Luke 12:48. Now, how many of you have heard communists or socialists quote that verse? How many of you have heard that? Anybody? You hear, you hear that's the obligation, that's why we pay taxes. That's why every time, if we want to be patriotic, we pay our taxes. I'll let that sit. Nobody? Nobody's heard that be the claim? Hey, you got to give of your money because it's right in the Bible. Who said this? Who quoted this verse every time he says, look, people, you greedy people, you got to pay more money? Barack Hussein Obama. He says all the time. He quotes this verse, but he twists it around. I, I would call him a teacher who's going to be strictly judged. In other words, I'll explain this verse a little bit. Both God and man require more from those who have been given more. Look, if God calls you to teach, he called me to teach. I tried the route of rejecting the call, and I went through a living hell for many, many years because I said no. God starts by whispering to you, and then he raises his voice. You don't want God to get to yelling because God can yell loud and painfully. When God calls a person to a place of leadership, much is required of that leader from God. I hear a lot of people look at the CEOs of companies, these big corporations. They say, man, you make $20 million a year. You've got to be kidding me. I wish they had a program for some CEOs. Now, some CEOs, you know, they, they have a staff that they, that's in place, and they're more or less a figurehead, and they don't really do that much anymore. But you follow 90% of the CEOs of some of the biggest corporations in the world, do a follow the CEO day and you find out their day starts very, very early and their day doesn't end until very, very early in the morning. Their days sometimes are 18, 19, 20 hours. They're long, hard days and their responsibility is tremendous. But let's put it another way. We know we, we have people in the room who have been uh, in charge of very important organizations. And your day doesn't start at 9 o'clock and end at 5, strict hour lunch. No, sometimes you're in the office at 6 a.m. or earlier. And sometimes you're there until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Sometimes your day has been comprised of you start the day in one country, you end the day in another, and you're still working. I'm not saying be I have a bunch of pity on CEOs or leaders or managers. But sometimes we are quick to envy certain people because we don't know the sacrifice that they make. We just see the fruits of their labors, and we and we miss it. There are lots of people that work very very hard. I know one of the things as a business owner uh, I used to encounter a lot is people thought that we were loaded, obviously because I dressed so nice. Said in jest. Uh, the the live audience is like oh yeah you didn't have to tell us that captain obvious um how about your animals for adults grown ups huh so what i'm saying to you is is uh it, it, i would encounter this where people would think oh you own your own business you're ri- you're rich oh you own your bit you create your own hours yeah i choose which half the day i i only work half a day i get to choose which 12 hours i want to work and i always it always cracks me up right business owners right managers leaders there's a lot of responsibility, and there's a big cost to it. You can't leave when that clock hits that 401. You can't consider yourself working overtime. Not to be little people that, uh, that that's their, their calling and their job is that. But I'm just saying to you, it's very important. It's very important to remember that when you're a leader, there's a, a much greater sacrifice required of you. And if you are a teacher of the Christian truth and lifestyle, man, the responsibility upon you is huge. And when one is given, and I consider this absolutely a great privilege, when one is given the great privilege and responsibility of teaching the truth of God's word, there is little wonder that God would require a high standard of excellence and faithfulness. Second, there's a principle of sowing and reaping, which is very relevant to what James is teaching. Uh, Teach is as follows. This does also not count as the verse I'm preaching on. I'm helping you here. This is free of charge. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7. Don't delude yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. A person reaps what he sows. Those who keep sowing in the field of their old nature in order to meet Uh, Its demands will eventually reap ruin, but those who keep sowing in the field of the Spirit will reap from the Spirit everlasting life. So let us not grow weary of doing what is good, for if we don't give up, we will in due time reap the harvest. Therefore, as the opportunity arises, let us do what is good to everyone, especially to the family of those who are trustingly faithful. I'll tell you this. Usually teachers produce themselves in the lives of their students. Teachers So I say this to small business people all the time. I get the opportunity to speak to all kinds of different sized businesses. But one of the businesses I, I like talking to are small business people who have a few employees. And I always love to remind them, listen, you're a teacher. You're a teacher. You're teaching this person. If you're the manager of a division or a unit and you've got a group of employees that are dependent on you, you are to teach them, not just boss them, but teach them, show them and shows and sows and you will reap what is good. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. Teachers sow. But a false teacher could do great harm by creating mediocrity in the lives of the people of God and by actually leading them astray, sowing weeds instead of flowers. I, I know you guys know this, but much is written in the New Testament as a warning against false teachers, including the epistles of Jude, and Second Peter, a false teacher or an inept teacher, up until now you probably thought, well, you must just be talking about uh, a person who just willfully and wantonly teaches the wrong stuff. They're just misguided. They mean well, but they're misguided. That's simply not true. It's not true. The judgment falls upon, the strict judgment falls also upon the teacher who just is wrong. You say, well, that seems kind of harsh. But it's true. The judgment of God can fall on you even though you're teaching and you mean well, but you're wrong. Whose job is it to make sure the teacher is teaching correctly, accurately, truthfully? Whose job is that? It's the teacher. It's the teacher. The teacher has to be sure all the time, am I teaching What is right? A false teacher or an inept teacher would be tearing down the lives of the believers instead of sowing well into them. A teacher who is called of God and gifted of God and who is properly equipped will have the joyous privilege of building the lives of God's people and building the body of Christ. Look, I'm just going to say this to you. I I think it's very important. Whenever I teach this, people invariably will come up to me that are teachers of some sort, whether it be Sunday school teacher, a school teacher, a Christian school teacher, some sort of administrator, something like that, someone who teaches, someone who leads and teaches. And they'll say, I think we're wrong about that, that inept thing, because you know what? You can mean well, and you just might be wrong. You might have been taught wrong. What do we call that? We call that, in seminary, we, we had big, long classes on traditional learning. Why do you believe what you believe? Well, I grew up, hearing this preached and so then you believe it and that's called traditional learning traditional learning you learn by tradition rather than by fact some of you in here and some of you can bob your head you know that when i first started preaching to this group some of the stuff i was saying was extraordinarily foreign to you you were saying oh my lands this dude is off his rocker and now you're like oh my lands this dude is off his rocker he's right properly equipped. A teacher who is called of God and gifted of God and who is properly equipped will have the joyous privilege of building the lives of God's people and building the body of Christ. Man, that is very, very, very important. But you know what? These false teachers, Peter warns us about this. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought, who bought them. That Second Peter two one also doesn't count as the one verse that I'm teaching. In summary, teachers should expect strict judgment from their brothers and sisters in Christ, and from the Lord Christ Himself. To teach folks is humbling. Whether I'm standing before a crowd now, there's about thirty thousand people. I would assume listening over the radio tomorrow, there'll be about a half a million people listening. That's humbling to me. But you know what is most humbling? We've got to do some pushing out of the walls and get a few more chairs. But my point is this, it's humbling whether I'm speaking before a very, very small group or or tens of thousands. Nancy Flanagan, many of you have heard me talk about her. Nancy Flanagan is an amazing woman. If you've been to Emanuel Church, you probably, if you've been in the healing and prayer room, Nancy Flanagan, you've had to have bumped into her. An amazing, amazing woman of God. Cleaned houses for many, many years. One of the houses that she cleaned is not more than two minutes three minutes from here, some of my best friends in the world. And I stayed with them for four months while moving out here from another state. And I have to say, some of you have heard the story how Nancy received a word from God. She was the only one who knew this, that God was placing a call on my life, and I was fighting it. She had never met me. And she told me over the course of two Fridays, She told me in just very brief conversations, one day you will preach to oceans. She wasn't blowing smoke up my skirt. Of course, I didn't have a skirt on at that time. Now the radio audience is going, is he wearing a skirt? My lands. No wonder he was talking about his clothing. But I'm telling you, uh, it's a humbling thing to hear something like that. And, of course, when she said that, I cast it off immediately. I cast it off immediately. I, I, you know thank you, you're very sweet, but wow, you should stop smelling those cleaners because they're making you high. But she was right. The audience now is all over the world. I get emails from all over the world. I get messages from all over the world, and it is a humbling experience. You know, the the book club, I told you guys about the women's book club, that was not a Christian organization. They were a small group of women. And uh, there was one in Switzerland and one in Belgium. Um, not for nothing. I'm just going to put this out there. Both great places for chocolate. I don't know what the connection is. Don't, you know, it's just, I don't know. But, uh, and both of these groups of ladies didn't know each other, but they told my book, I don't know how, got a hold of my book, read my book, looked me up, found out I was doing broadcasts back then. Remember, we were recording them, and then I would go home and be up until 1.30 in the morning trying to figure out how to edit them because I'm not showing my buddy Sean and, and Bob, they know how to do all that stuff, but I would be fighting and fighting and fighting with the computer until finally I would get it and it would work. And so they started listening, and they've, they've listened. I get letters from them all the time, and it blows my mind about it. It's humbling. Now their book club has become church on Sunday with you guys. They join us every week. It's, it's most amazing and quite humbling. So I have to tell you, I'm just a Sussex County farm boy, you know. I'm just a redneck from Sussex County, Delaware. And to have that opportunity is very humbling. But even if I only taught three or four or five people, if I only led three or four or five people, it would be humbling to me. We're going to stop here. I'm going to pick up next week, just uh, to finish off, because I think there's a very powerful lesson, and this is a teaser. This is what we call Radio and TV, the teaser. Next week, you're going to hear the the finish. You're going to hear, this wasn't 10 minutes, was it? I'm not good at time. Maybe it was. Um, Listen, I love you guys. Thank you for what you do. Be here next week. We're going to be teaching.
0: Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show. 18 plus.